0: The way that nutrition works, unfortunately, with GI issues is what might be beneficial for one person could potentially be harmful and worsen symptoms for the next, even with the same condition. I've seen people with inflammatory bowel disease who one person has a negative reaction to animal foods and the other has a negative reaction to plant foods and one does better on a more plant-restricted diet, and this is just the nature of digestive issues. Welcome to the Nutrition Science Podcast, where we help you cut through the noise and make informed science-based decisions about nutrition and your health. How's it going, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Nutrition Science Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Adrian Chavez. And in this episode, we're going to be discussing nutrition and digestive issues. And this is a topic that I recently did a Q&A about on my Instagram. And it's just very clear that many people are being misled. With respect to this topic, there's a lot of misinformation, there's a lot of confusion, there's a lot of confusion around what a digestive issue even is and whether or not people actually have them. So I want to go into that on this episode. I want to talk about whether or not you really have a digestive health condition, what to do if you really are experiencing true digestive issues, what type of treatment to seek, and then we're going to discuss a little bit about my personal approach to digestive issues the way that I personally look at it, because I've worked with a lot of people with a variety of digestive issues. These things are really complicated. There's a lot going on. Often there's multiple different things going on, multiple diagnoses, and I have found it very beneficial to break down digestive health into five pillars and to address them each individually based on symptoms, based on responses to certain foods, And that has been very, very helpful in my work with clients in helping to improve digestive symptoms, even when there's no clear indication as to what's going on. So I want to outline that framework for you in just a bit of detail in this episode today. It's really, really complicated. These digestive issues, as you'll hear as we go through this podcast, are really difficult and really complicated. And that's why there's so much misinformation in this field. That's why sometimes it's really difficult to find clear answers because there aren't any. And so hopefully this episode will help those of you who are struggling with digestive issues to gain a little bit more clarity as to whether or not you should seek treatment, whether or not there are certain nutritional changes that may be beneficial for you in various angles through which you can tackle digestive issues to help to improve your symptoms. So first, let's get started in discussing what a digestive issue even is. So there's a variety of different digestive health conditions. There's a variety of different digestive health conditions. There are what are called functional GI issues, and these are digestive issues that there's no clear physical issue going on. There's just symptoms that occur. And so these can include constipation, these can include IBS. These can include diarrhea and bloating and gas and like excessive gas. Uh, these are a variety of symptoms that can occur due to the digestive processes. There's other categories of GI issues that are not considered functional because they're not occurring as a result of the digestive processes, but they're occurring all the time. So inflammatory bowel disease is one of these examples. Inflammatory bowel disease is an autoimmune condition where your immune system is attacking the lining of your digestive tract. And for this reason, it's not a functional issue that's coming and going as a result of digestive processes, but it's something that's kind of occurring all the time. And it's very clear what's going on when we look at someone's GI tract. With functional GI issues, it's often not as clear. And oftentimes, they don't get clear answers. So if you're dealing with one of these functional GI issues, sometimes it's hard to get a clear answer because there's no clear diagnostic for it besides your symptoms. So if you have symptoms, you have this condition, but there's no clear diagnostic test like there is with inflammatory bowel disease, where you can do an endoscopy and see the active inflammation. So that's the difference with functional GI issues. Sometimes there'll be some inflammation in various parts of the intestines, like there'll be some gastritis or other just mild inflammation in other parts of the intestines. But the condition is mostly characterized by symptoms, by bloating on a regular basis, by constipation or diarrhea or extreme levels of both these are more common and these tend to be quite responsive to nutritional changes in many cases so when it comes to gi issues and the reason that i have developed such an interest in various gi issues is because every single thing that we eat comes into contact with our gastrointestinal tract so our gi tract is the long tube it's 27-ish feet of a tube that goes from our mouth to our butt and It's basically, we eat food in one side, it goes, the waste products go out the other side, and in between there, our body takes the food that we eat, breaks it down into a chemical mush, pulls out all the nutrients that we need, and some of that gets broken down by the microbes that live in our gut, the 40 trillion or more microbes that reside in our large intestine. And then after that, whatever's left over gets excreted in our stool, and There's a lot of stuff that can go wrong between when we eat our food and when it gets excreted. There's many different factors at play when it comes to digesting food. And when you have a digestive issue, it's very likely that what you're eating plays at least some role. And that's why I've become very interested in it. When I first started working with clients, I ran into some people with digestive issues I was recommending certain things because that was good for gut health and it didn't work. I'm saying, hey, let's eat more fiber. And they were feeling worse. And that opened up a whole new side of nutrition for me where I wanted to understand this. I wanted to understand why some people were feeling worse off what were supposed to be healthy foods. And that took me down a rabbit hole of trying to understand this topic. And I feel like I've, I mean, I've worked with over 100 clients at this point, have a pretty good success rate. You know, I don't quote unquote heal things, but. The goal with digestive issues is to get to a place where your symptoms are well managed and you get your life back and your quality of life back. Because one of the biggest reasons that digestive issues can be such a problem is because they can disrupt your life. You have a plan to go out with friends on a Saturday night and you have really bad bloating and GI issues and you don't want to go out. And these are the types of things that can occur frequently and can really disrupt someone's life. And that's why it's really important to get these things under control. They're not necessarily, in many cases, they're not having massive systemic effect on health where they're shortening your lifespan. They're just really negatively impacting your day-to-day quality of life. And that's why it can be really important. So let's talk about the difference between a digestive issue and, you know, normal digestion. And it goes back to what I was just talking about. Is it impacting your quality of life? everyone is going to experience some degree of bloating, gas, indigestion, burping, heartburn, and those things are going to occur. As I mentioned a second ago, there's a lot going on in our digestive tract. When we eat food, we chew it up, we swallow it, it goes into our stomach, it mixes with stomach acid and pepsin. These are very, very, you know, acidic substances that break down the food. uh, This is a very harsh environment. So we have this acidic substance and this enzyme that are breaking down the food. And then that mush is then sent into our small intestine where a whole bunch of enzymes start to work on that. Our gallbladder releases bile into our small intestine, which helps to break down some of the fats. Our pancreas releases pancreatic enzymes into the small intestine, which helps to break down some of the carbohydrates and proteins. And then our microbiome is there helping to break down some of the uh, carbohydrates and and fats and proteins as well. And all of this is going on. And if things start to go wrong, you can develop symptoms. And so if your symptoms are impacting your quality of life, so again, if not, if you're sometimes after the meal, you have to unbutton your pants and you feel a little bit uncomfortable if you go eat out and you eat really poorly, you don't feel well, that's normal. It's normal digestion that happens to everyone. That's like having knee pain after, after sprinting, after you haven't sprinted for a while or something along those lines. That's normal. We're going to experience these types of things a couple times a month at least. When it becomes not normal is when it starts to affect your quality of life. When it starts to cause you to make decisions centered around your digestion. Air when it starts to impact your sleep. So, for example, if you have reflux, if it's causing you to just feel d- uncomfortable all evening, and you can't fall asleep at night because you have some, you know, burning in your esophagus. Uh, if you're, if you have IBS, for example, and you're, you have a lot of bloating, and so you are afraid to go out to eat with friends because you don't want to be bloated to the extent that you don't feel comfortable in your clothes, and you have to truly change clothes or wear clothes that are loose fitted, knowing that you're likely going to get bloated, even if you're trying to make healthy choices. Now it's one thing if you're like, okay, I I get bloated when I eat 12 wings and fries and have two beers. That's understandable. But if you are trying to make healthier choices and you're still experiencing those types of things, that's when it's a little bit more problematic. On the other end, if you're afraid to go out because You're worried about where the restroom is and you're worried about experiencing a level of urgency that you're not going to be able to control, and a restroom needs to be nearby. That's problematic. If you're going to the restroom six, seven times a day with urgency, that's problematic. Up to three can be fine. The amount of urgency is really the key. If you're experiencing really high levels of urgency when you have to go and you're going multiple times per day, four, five, six, seven times per day, that's a problem. Now, that can be just you're not eating enough fiber. That can be you're eating too much fat. That can be a number of different things. But if you're trying to improve your diet and you're still experiencing those symptoms, that's telling you that there's something going on with your digestive symptom that is not normal. So that's another reason why you would consider saying, okay, I really do have digestive issues. Let me seek out finding an answer and uh, seek out treatment for this. If you're experiencing any type of blood in your stool, you absolutely have digestive issues, you absolutely need to seek out treatment. So we'll talk about what I mean by seek out treatment in a second. But if you're experiencing any of these symptoms, if it's impacting your quality of life, if it's impacting your choices, if it's causing you to avoid social situations because of it, if it's just really impacting your quality of life. Now, if again, if it is occasionally, and it's a once a month thing. When you make poor choices, or when you stay up all night, you know you have bloating, in, in the next day, like that's that's not a digestive issue. A digestive issue is you're living your life, you're eating a normal diet, you're eating semi, at least you know semi healthy, you're following a normal lifestyle, you're not all over the place, and you're still experiencing these things. That's when you really want to start to seek out treatment, start to seek out some support with this. And the first thing I recommend doing is talking to your primary care doc and trying to get their opinion and then seeing if you can get a referral to a GI doc. The GI doc is probably going to be more useful for you than the primary care doctor. Primary care doctor typically isn't going to go into as much detail, but you do want to get that opinion first. Sometimes the primary care doctor that you're working with may have you know more experience with GI issues and may be able to point you in the right direction uh, more effectively but you most likely want to get a referral to a GI doc and that GI doc is that's where you're going to get more specific answers that's where you're going to get a diagnosis you might get, If it's something more serious, if you're having lots of diarrhea or you're having lots of heartburn, you might get an endoscopy, colonoscopy to make sure nothing more serious is going on. Make sure you don't have IBD or some other more serious issue, colon cancer something like that. We want to be cautious with these things and rule out something more serious because what some people do, and I've seen this, is people will try to change their nutrition and they'll try to do all the healthy things and it doesn't improve as much as they would like. And it's because it's something more serious that needs to be addressed medically. And so we want to rule these things out ideally first. And so if you think you have a digestive issue, I recommend while you're doing some of the other things that I'll discuss in terms of you know, some of the things that can improve some GI issues, you want to seek out a medical care. You want to seek out a proper diagnosis you want to seek out proper testing. You want to rule out celiac and other factors that can be tested for through your primary care or your GI doc. And so that's the first step when it comes to nutrition. As I mentioned, nutrition is really important. The way that nutrition works, unfortunately, with GI issues is what might be beneficial for one person is could potentially be harmful and worsen symptoms for the next even with the same condition. I've seen people with inflammatory bowel disease who one person has a negative reaction to animal foods and the other has a negative reaction to plant foods. And one does better on a more plant-restricted diet. And this is just the nature of digestive issues. Your digestive tract is going to be very specific in the things that it reacts to and the things that it doesn't tolerate well and the things that it doesn't break down well. And that's going to be the result of your digestive system's ability to break all of that stuff down. And that depends on how much stomach acid you're producing and whether your gallbladder is producing the bile and the composition of your microbiome and how fast things are moving through your intestines and a number of other factors. So it can get really complicated, but generally speaking, most people do better off a lower processed food diet. So switching a lot of the highly processed foods to less processed foods and more nutritious foods tends to be more helpful for most people. This is counterintuitive for what a lot of people would think, but when it from when it comes to nutrition, oftentimes cooked food and softened foods, blended foods, things that are very softened tend to be easier to digest because when they're softened, they break down more quickly, but it also creates more surface area for the enzymes and microbes to break down those foods more quickly. Those are some general principles that tend to help people overall, but depending on your specific symptoms, there are specific things that may be contributing. So let me break down, as I mentioned, the the way that I conceptualize these GI issues, and then we'll talk about nutrition a little bit more. So the way that I look at these GI issues is I break them down into five main characteristics of our digestive system. So uh, our digestive health, in my opinion, the way that I see it is it comes down to five things. Number one, chemical digestion, that stomach acid, that's bile. Is your stomach producing enough acid? Is your liver producing enough bile? Is the bile being put into your small intestine? Uh, properly so that you can break down your food if you have low stomach acid for example you'll feel really full after your meals a lot of times and you won't be able to like eat for a while or you won't be able to eat a lot let's say you, you eat a high protein meal you'll just feel full for hours and hours and hours and you feel like the food doesn't move through your stomach now doesn't necessarily mean you have low stomach acid but that tends to be one of the symptoms that correlates with this and what With digestive issues, you can't test these things. With these functional digestive issues, we can't feed someone and then test their stomach acid after a meal. And then, you know, when we produce the symptoms, it's so hard to do these things. So we just have to kind of go by patterns of symptoms and the way that people respond to various foods to help us understand a little bit better of what might be going on. So a low stomach acid can often make it more difficult to digest protein-rich foods. Can cause you to feel very, very full for a long period of time, and this is when it comes. This is chemical digestion. So it's number one, chemical digestion. Uh, I started going into detail about that one. I'm, I want to list them all first, and then I'll go into a little bit of detail on each one. So number one, chemical digestion. Number two, microbiome. Number three, intestinal lining. Number four, motility, and number five, our intestinal immune system. So. As I was talking about, chemical digestion helps us to break down uh, the acid in our stomach helps us to break down proteins. The bile that's produced by our liver and dumped into our small intestine by our gallbladder helps us to break down fats. So if you're having a hard time digesting fats, it could be that you're not producing enough bile or that there's a blockage between your gallbladder and your small intestine that's preventing the bile from being dumped into the intestines the way that it needs to be. So these things are important. So if you're seeing a lot of fat and you're still, these are some things to pay attention to. That's chemical digestion. Next is going to be the microbiome. So the microbiome, if you're extremely bloated, if you're experiencing like lots of bloating after every meal, it's very consistent. You feel pregnant after your meals or a lot of gas. So if you're experiencing a lot of bloating, a lot of gas, a lot of buildup in your intestines, this is likely the result of the interaction between your microbiome and the foods that you're eating. So the microbes in our gut can break down the foods that we eat and they can produce gases and those gases can build up in our intestines and that can contribute to bloating. That can also contribute to gas, but bloating is when it happens in the upper GI tract and it feels like it's closer to your chest and it feels like it's in the middle of your stomach. When it's gas, it's usually further down in your torso and it comes out more easily. When it's bloating, it kind of sits there feels like a buildup, can feel painful, can make you feel pregnant for hours at a time and can be extremely uncomfortable. The microbiome plays a big role in that. Microbiome can also play a role in diarrhea. Microbiome can play a role in motility overall. The composition of our microbes can cause our intestinal tract to slow motility and motility is the speed at which food moves through our intestines and the microbiome can speed up. The composition of the microbiome can lead to increased speed of motility. So microbiome can impact our digestive tract in a variety of ways. Typically, if there's lots and lots of bloating, lots and lots of gas, that's a microbiome issue. Another thing that's directly microbiome related is something called post-infectious IBS, and it typically leads to IBS with diarrhea. And this is individuals who get exposed to like food poisoning of some sort, and then they develop digestive symptoms afterwards that are associated with diarrhea as well. So they just have persistent diarrhea, they get food poisoning, kind of doesn't go away, doesn't improve. This is a microbiome issue. A lot of times these people are exposed to something like salmonella, E. coli. It hangs out in their intestines to a certain extent. It doesn't completely, it's not a complete infection at that point, but it's hanging out to a certain extent or changed the composition of the microbiome to a certain extent that it's now leading to digestive issues. So microbiome, this is one that we cannot even measure it right now. So you'll see people selling stool tests, telling you that they can analyze the composition of your microbiome and tell you what's going on in your gut. This is not true. We cannot measure the microbiome at this point with the most sophisticated technology. We don't have the capacity to measure the gut microbiome. Uh, The reason being is because we have 27 feet of intestinal tract and there's different colonies and different populations of microbes in different locations throughout our intestines. And we would have to be able to like swallow a pill or send a camera down all the way through our intestinal tract and sample various sites of our intestinal tract and sample what's called the intestinal lumen so the liquid in the space inside of our intestines and the mucosal layer which is a thick mucus layer on that lines the the inside of our intestines because there's different microbes in each of these spaces so you can understand how there's there's basically when we say our gut microbiome there's different communities throughout and there's several communities and we we don't understand the interplay between all of the microbes that exist in our gut and our health it's really difficult to understand at this point. We do have we do know that there's certain things like small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. Probably heard of that, it's called SIBO that contributes to a lot of cases of IBS or irritable bowel syndrome. And the reason being is why I just described a second ago. If you have way too much microbes in your small intestine what's going to happen is those microbes are going to break down some of your food, they're going to ferment it, they're going to create gasses that's going to cause bloating, that's going to cause pain, discomfort. So microbiome can contribute to a lot of digestive issues. It's really difficult to measure and modify the microbiome. It's largely a guessing game. Antibiotics can help sometimes. Probiotics can help sometimes. And it depends on your specific digestive issue, your symptoms, your clinical history. So for example, if I meet someone who has a long history of antibiotic use, and then they develop serious digestive issues afterwards. Then we're probably going to lean on the end of trying to use any type of probiotics that we can to increase the diversity of the gut microbiome because of that clinical history and because of what we know about that, because there's likely lower diversity in their gut microbiome that has contributed to some of these things. So with a lot of these, like when, when someone has a digestive issue, I don't look at the diagnosis. I look at the clinical history. Is there a good reason to suggest that the microbiome has lost diversity due to the things that they've experienced? So if you're someone who's been exposed to lots and lots and lots of antibiotics, you might benefit from probiotic supplements. And then you might also benefit from using fermented foods as well to build up the diversity of the microbiome. And the challenge is, as I mentioned, is largely a guessing game. So it's really impossible to know, okay, you have a microbiome issue. Here's how we're going to solve it. And you're going to expect to get this much better. It, it's a guessing game. It's a game of educated guessing. And as you'll hear, that's the case with a lot of these digestive issues, and that's why, unfortunately, this is why this is so open for misinformation and for people who want to prey on desperate individuals is because there's so much gray space, you can easily step into that gray space and say, I have the answers. And it's really easy to get people to believe that you do um, because no one else does. So if you say you do, it's it's really attractive. So microbiome, number two. Number three, the lining of our intestine. So we have a single layer of cells that lines our intestines. Outside of that, we have a mucosal layer. So I kind of mentioned that a second ago. So we have a single layer of cells that line our intestines, and and then those cells basically help produce mucus, and the mucus uh, builds up around the intestinal tract. So you have this in your mouth to a certain extent. You have this saliva that lines the, the mouth. In our intestines, we have a thicker mucus layer. And that mucus layer is designed to protect our intestinal lining from the microbes, from the undigested proteins, and other potentially damaging things that are inside of our intestines. So it's to protect our body and our intestinal lining from all of those things. So that thick mucosal layer is really important. For some people, that mucosal layer can get damaged if you're taking non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, If you're drinking a lot, if you're under a lot of stress, if you're lacking sleep, if you're over exercising, that mucosal layer can break down for a variety of reasons that I'm not going to discuss on this podcast because I'm not going to make this a three hour show, but that mucosal layer can break down and your intestines can become a little bit more vulnerable to these things that can potentially cause damage. So if that mucosal layer breaks down, and this happens with inflammatory bowel disease, individuals with inflammatory bowel disease, Crohn's or ulcerative colitis tend to have a breakdown of their mucosal layer, and they have a very raw intestinal lining. It's very inflamed, that mucosal layer is broken down, and a lot of the foods that they're eating are irritating their digestive tract because that mucosal layer is not there to protect them. And so that mucosal layer is very important. The health of that mucosal layer is largely dependent on stress load or not largely, but it's, it's largely influenced by stress load. And what I mean by stress load is entire stress load, like sleep, physical activity, f- mental stress, and physical, like physical stress, mental stress. So if you're not sleeping, if you're exercising a lot, if you're under a lot of physical stress or mental stress, you're going to experience most likely a breakdown of that mucosal layer. Part of this can be genetic as well. So if you have a genetic predisposition to not produce a lot of that mucus, that can be a factor as well. But stress load is important. Medications are important. But when this intestinal lining breaks down with that mucosal layer breaks down and then damage starts to occur to the intestinal cells, that leads to what's called increased intestinal permeability. you probably heard of this referred to as leaky gut. And this allows some of these undigested proteins, some of these bacteria to cross our intestinal lining. And what happens is those things come into contact with our immune system. So underneath that layer of cells, and that'll bring us onto our Next point, and I'll split, I'll change the order of these, but I'm going to go with number four. We're going to talk about immune system because immune system ties in directly to the intestinal lining. So underneath that single layer of cells in our intestines, we have 60% of our entire immune system and our body is located underneath that single layer of cells in our digestive tract. And it hangs out in this space, serving every single thing that we absorb into our body to make sure that it's safe for us. And what happens is our immune system can become overreactive and it can become overreactive for a variety of reasons, largely due to genetics, but it can also become overreactive due to exposures to different microbes. It can become overreactive to a viral infection, for example, that causes your immune system to just get thrown off. Also due to micronutrient deficiencies, low levels of vitamin A, low levels of vitamin D, those can cause an imbalance in the immune system, but the immune system becoming a little bit more highly reactive can cause damage to that intestinal lining and can cause GI issues, can cause stomach pain and other symptoms as a result of eating food. So let's say, for example, your intestinal lining got broken down, you ate some dairy, for example, and that dairy protein cross that intestinal lining before being broken down properly. So normally your chemical digestion, your microbes would take those dairy proteins, break them down into individual amino acids. They would cross our, our gut barrier. They would get taken to where they need to get to. And those amino acids would be used in the bodies as building blocks for tissues throughout the body. If you have damage to your intestinal lining to the point where proteins that are not fully digested cross that intestinal barrier, that can trigger the immune system, and that can trigger an immune response because the immune system is identifying that protein as a foreign substance because it's not supposed to be exposed to that protein. That protein is supposed to be fully broken down before it crosses that intestinal wall. So that is one of the reasons why the immune system or one of the ways to which the immune system can impact digestive symptoms. We've talked about inflammatory bowel disease. That is an autoimmune condition where the immune system is breaking down the lining of the intestines, and the immune system is essentially damaging the body uh, due to an extensive immunological response, and inflammatory bowel disease can be improved in lowering that total amount of potential immune triggers, and that's why a lot of people with inflammatory bowel disease tend to do better without gluten or by limiting dairy for a period of time, especially when they're in a flare, because when they're in a flare, they can become more intolerant to some of these proteins. That they would otherwise tolerate well. So, these proteins, if you listen to the last episode, these are just common immune triggers. And when someone experiences increased intestinal permeability, the immune system is gonna come into contact with more of these undigested proteins. And this can be a real problem for some people. The last thing that we're gonna discuss is motility. And motility is a speed through which your food and your waste products moves through your intestines. Motility is influenced by a variety of factors, the amount of fiber that you're consuming, the amount of water that you're consuming. Those are two of the most important dietary factors. Uh, Fat also matters to a certain extent, and the timing at which you eat your food can also play a role. So eating your food around the same time and staying on somewhat of a schedule can help with motility because of the fact that you're helping to regulate your digestion with your circadian rhythm. So you're helping to regulate your digestion with your circadian rhythm. But for most people, it's figuring out the right combination and types of fiber. highly recommend checking out my fiber episode for more information about that and also making sure that you're consuming enough water. And as I mentioned, some of these other factors can play a role as well. I didn't mention this and it gets a lot more complicated if I start to talk about these things and I kind of mentioned it, but motility is also impacted by the intestinal lining because if you have damage to the intestinal lining and the mucosal layer is broken down and you're having irritation at that part of the GI tract, that can speed up motility through that part of the GI tract. It's also impacted by the microbiome and it could also be impacted by chemical digestion because if you're having low amounts of bile or low amounts of stomach acid, the food might just move through slower because it takes longer to break down. All of these things come together as well. But the key when it comes to digestive issues, you got to start with normal healthy dietary practices. Okay, so all the things I'm always talking about. So try to get balanced meals, try to eat on a somewhat regular schedule, and start there. And then, depending on your specific digestive issues, then you have to make modifications based on that. If you're bloated a lot when you're eating higher fiber foods, then you may need to avoid insoluble fibers. You may need to avoid fermentable fibers. If you're having a lot of heartburn when you're having acidic foods, then that's something that you're probably going to want to reduce. So you may need to reduce vinegar, you may need to reduce lemon juice and citrus fruits. And although these things are perfectly healthy, they're irritating you in your current state. And this is the challenge with digestive issues is oftentimes what's going to help to improve your symptoms is not necessarily what would be considered quote unquote healthy. But The reality is that if your symptoms are impacting your quality of life, you need to get that addressed and improving your quality of life and then trying to figure out how to keep your quality of life improved and your digestive issue managed while you're meeting all your nutrient needs is the approach that I recommend. But in many cases, if your symptoms are impacting your quality of life, that's going to be the most important thing. So the best dietary approach for someone with a digestive issue is identifying what foods are triggering for you and trying to reduce your consumption of those. Now, this is where I say that it's really helpful to work with a professional. So I highly recommend that if you fit into this category of individuals who are dealing with real digestive issues that you try to seek out a professional that you can work with that can help you with nutrition and also with supplements because supplements can be very helpful in many of these cases as well. There's a lot of supplements that are supported by multiple clinical trials showing that they can improve symptoms and various digestive issues, but you have to be very specific in choosing supplements because as we've discussed throughout this episode, your symptoms are going to be different than someone else's and what you respond to is going to be different than someone else's even if you have the same digestive issue, and so that's why it's really important to have a professional on your side. I would treat this as you would an important issue you're having with your car. If your transmission in your car was acting up and about to go out, you would go to a mechanic, a professional, and you would allow that professional to fix the problem. And I know it's a little bit different with nutrition, but if you have a digestive issue Because digestive issues can contribute to autoimmune conditions, can worsen over time, impact nutrient absorption, which can impact every other aspect of your health. I highly recommend not just sitting back and hoping that these go away, uh, especially if it's something that's been going on for a while for you. Now, if it's just been a few months, it might just go away on its own. Sometimes things happen where you have a little bit more bloating for a month or two, or you have some weird symptoms for a month or two, and they go away that's definitely don't need to go down this path necessarily if you're in that space now. But if you've been dealing with something for a year or several years, I highly recommend getting that addressed. With that said, I am going to be taking on a few new digestive clients. I made this announcement in my Instagram earlier today and I've already had a couple of people schedule discovery calls with me. I'm only taking on a few clients. I only take on a handful of clients with GI issues These things are complicated. Uh, I don't like taking on too much because it can get overwhelming, but I really enjoy helping people work through these issues, and it's really rewarding to see someone who's been dealing with a digestive issue learn how to manage it in a much better way. So I'm going to put some information about that in the show notes. You can also find out more information about that at dradrianchavez.com forward slash digestion now. I'm only taking on a couple of new clients and I'm pretty sure that's going to fill up quickly and I probably won't take on clients for a few more months after this. I'll also give some recommendations for other people that you can work with as well. I don't want to make it seem like I'm just trying to make this a promotion for working with me. As I mentioned, I'm only taking on a few clients, but I will also link some dietitians that work in this space as well. So you have some other options if you want to decide to work with one of those individuals as well. But if you're dealing with these things, I recommend getting the help. Don't just keep dealing with it. I've worked with clients who have been dealing with it for decades and it ends up culminating into more issues. They develop nutrient deficiencies. They develop autoimmune issues. Their hair starts falling out. They develop hormonal issues. If these things are affecting your quality of life, They're probably having a measurable negative impact on your overall health, and it will compound in most cases if that doesn't get addressed. So a quick summary of the main aspects of digestive health that we discussed. Number one, chemical digestion. Number two, microbiome. Number three, intestinal lining. Number four, immune system. Number five, motility. If you're having issues with any of these, I will look at them specifically. If you have IBS, for example, look specifically, how do I improve motility? How do I improve the health of my microbiome? And if you can work on these things individually, oftentimes they can help to improve your overall symptoms and help to improve your quality of life and help to manage your condition better. This is my experience that I've had with lots of clients. This is how I personally break this down. This is not coming directly from a research paper, although I've read lots and lots and lots and lots of research papers on IBS nutrition and IBD nutrition. I have found that in practice, breaking things down in this way and addressing it based on symptom profile and based on trying to improve that symptom profile has been the most effective approach. So I hope this episode was helpful. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Nutrition Science Podcast. I hope you have a great day and we'll talk soon.